0: Tēnā no No mai, to mai, welcome to q and I'm Jack Tame. This morning, is He Waka
1: Noa dead? I know farmers want certainty, but it is important that we get it right.
0: Then, Green Party co-leader Marama Davidson is live with us in studio, and Te Pāti Māori makes a play at a general electorate seat. Trade Minister Damien O'Connor has just landed in Brussels, alongside the Prime Minister, as the pair prepare to sign New Zealand's free trade deal with the EU. The agreement was finalised last year under Jacinda Ardern, but while it was celebrated by some in the horticulture sector, critics say it achieved poor results for dairy and meat exporters. How then is it helping us to meaningfully diversify our exports into markets outside of China? I sat down with Damien O'Connor a few hours before he flew to Europe.
1: This is right up alongside the UK once well, Far bigger market, 450 million people, um, discerning customers, uh, similar values. They are seeking a very high standard of trade agreement, um, underpinned by uh, commitments around biodiversity, around labour standards, um, uh, around uh, subsidy reduction, around fossil fuels and fisheries. So, so a huge alignment. There are some significant
0: gains for the wine industry, for manuka honey, kiwi fruit, and seafood. But unlike other FTAs, this deal achieves pretty poor outcomes for our biggest primary exports, dairy and meat. Why would we sign this?
1: Uh, Look, the EU is a really tough market. Um, There's been a lot of subsidies, a lot of protectionism. um, And when it comes to beef and agricultural products, dairy, uh, very hard market to get access to. We've effectively been shut out uh, with butter, um, dairy products, um, beef, you know, less than 1,000 tonnes going into there. Um, We've got 30,000 tonnes in butter, 30,000 tonnes cheese uh, after this FTA comes into force. Significant increase. We'll we'll be providing, if, if people take up the options are sixty percent of the butter that 's provided into the eu now that that shows it 's significant. For the EU, that is, they don't allow much in. Mm-hmm. But for you know us, it's still a relatively small volume. Of course, we would have liked more, um, but this is you know this is the first step. And as we've seen with China, um, you know we upgrade and we
0: move forward. Yeah, let's take a look at beef, for example. So a, a deal after seven years will allow for 10,000 tonnes of beef export. That sounds like a lot, but it's only about two percent of our total beef exports. Compare that to the FTA negotiated for Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay, which is about 99,000 tonnes, ten times larger than the New Zealand acts. Why is our deal so much worse?
1: We're relatively, relative to the world trade and those products, we got a pretty, you know, reasonable outcome. That is proportional uh, to what Brazil exports and to other countries. Australia's working through the same challenging process. Um, You know, so relative to our position in international beef markets, it was a fair deal. Not what we wanted, of course, but in the end, uh, trade deals are a compromise. Is Australia hanging tough? Uh, you know, they're going through the process at the moment. It's best not, I don't comment on that. Um, you know, they've, they're facing some challenging times. But I suppose
0: there's a diversion here, isn't there? In that uh, Australia has chosen to hold on, to negotiate harder. Similarly to New Zealand, their, their negotiations have gone on for a long time now, but they want bigger concessions for some of their primary exports. Whereas New Zealand just signed the deal with beef and dairy, perhaps not getting the kind of outcomes they were hoping for
1: yeah I, I look that 's the reality we don 't get everything we want. Um, we sometimes we get what we need and actually, you know we went right to the wire, pushing them uh, as far as we could we 're a market of five million people um, Australia's considerably larger, and so every country will negotiate with the coin that it has and we don 't have a lot, uh, but we got a pretty good deal. We spoke to a
0: trade expert. And they told us this, quote, As a free trade advocate, I'm flummoxed by this agreement. The government's keen to sign it for political reasons, but it's very unusual to sign a trade agreement where your major exports are not looked after. It obviously looks good for any Prime Minister of the day to be on the world stage signing a free trade deal. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern travelled to Europe and got this deal over the line. She was there for the photograph, signing it in person.
1: How do we know that she didn't just agree to this for political reasons, that she didn't do it just with the because domestic political market? Involved? in the end, I was the one negotiating right up until the last minute to get the very best. We should congratulate all the officials. You know, this was negotiated over four years. Many people five, six years ago thought this was not possible. They did it, a lot of it, um, you know, through online means, so uh, they did very well. We, we're diversifying as an economy, and um, so protecting our patent terms around Pharmac and, and you know that was a hard challenge, so we're not going to see increase in, in the price of pharmaceuticals. That was something that the EU sought right from the start, um, and and so we 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 did well here to ensure that there are opportunities for the new and emerging parts of our, our economy, while increasing the opportunities for our traditional parts. But when it
0: comes to diversifying, shouldn't we be looking at those those major exports, things like? dairy and, and meat? Aren't those the things that we need to diversify into different markets to reduce our reliance on a, China?
1: And, and diversify our economy um, into other areas of, of the things that we're exporting. Services, um, you know, we've got some amazing companies here that are providing services, um, engineering firms, education firms. They've now got uh, open access into the EU effectively. We've reduced the cost of them operating, uh, government procurement, uh, anyone ha- has a good service. Um, or Product that may not be the traditional ones now have access to 450 million people, a very high value market, so that helps us diversify as an economy as well as our trade options. New Zealand and the EU talk a lot about shared values, and that was a big part of these negotiations. Indeed,
0: climate commitments made up a significant and unique element of, of this agreement. When it comes to those values, are New Zealand's values more closely aligned with the EU or with China?
1: Uh, Look, I think they're closely aligned with the EU from a traditional sense. I think what we see in China is is emerging values that align more than what we think. Um, And in terms of climate change, every country in the world is now focusing on that. They start from a different position. um, But the EU you know, is almost panicking about it. They want to know that we're doing everything we can to reduce the impacts of climate change and of global warming. And so aligning with a country like New Zealand that has similar ambitions is something that they were keen to lock into a free trade agreement.
0: But is that why perhaps those major exports, those major primary exports, didn't get a better deal? Because they look at New Zealand dairy production, they look at New Zealand beef production and say, well, actually, you're not pulling your weight.
1: It was simply the political reality within the EU that food security, particularly in in the uh, situation with the Ukraine war, food security is a big issue. Their local farmers are the ones that produce the food that most of their people think feed them. Now, we come in and we supplement, we complement uh, that, um, and but they want to know that their farmers and the returns they're get, uh, getting are not being undermined by cheap imports imports, and, and we don't provide them with cheap imports, but there's a perception that New Zealand is very efficient and that we can come in and provide the market uh, and undermine the viability and, of their farmers. So that was a sensitive political issue with pretty much every one of the EU member states. As part of the deal,
0: New Zealand feta cheese producers can't use the term feta in any market, including the domestic market, in 10 years' time. There is increased access for European cheese producers when it comes to the New Zealand market. So what role should the government take in introducing perhaps industry-wide naming conventions for New Zealand-produced feta cheese that can no longer be called feta?
1: Well, we've got geographical indicators in the wine industry, um, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and Tago Pinot Noir, and so they respect those, and I've incorporated those into the agreement. Uh, Their geographical indicators go a long way back. Strong traditions we battled hard because we are using some of those terms, Um, but when it comes to something like feta, I think we're just going to have to get on and and develop our own terms for what are unique products, and I think with a bit of marketing, um, you know, there'll be some challenges, but we'll be able to do that too. Is that government's responsibility? responsibility though? Well we'll work with the industry and and, you know we've got uh, money available through MPI for innovative projects across um, you know all our primary sectors and so sitting down and doing some marketing, doing some product development, that's what we do. You talked uh, before about uh, diversifying
0: New Zealand's export markets. When you reflect on your time as Trade Minister what is the biggest shift you think you have achieved in diversifying New Zealand's exports?
1: I think we've moved um, in terms of our primary sectors. In fact, if you have a look at the figures, we've gone back uh, to reliance on the primary sectors mainly because the services around. Education and tourism have been hard hit through COVID. So actually, the figures say we've gone more back to primary at the moment. Uh, I think tourism will bounce back. We'll move, you know, forward in education as well. If you have a look at, uh, you know, what's going on in gaming, uh, IP, uh, all of these things are, are evolving. Agri tech, uh, we, we're moving from that. But if you come back to the primary sectors. I think we're moving to a, regenerative is the term that Nestle want as part of its uh, production system and supply chain. Now, they're our single biggest customer of our single biggest company. And they want 50% uh, reduction in emissions by 2030. They want 100% of their supply chain from regenerative sources by 2030. Now, if we want to be part of that, we have to take that on board. I think agriculture, horticulture, has moved to a more sustainable place. You know, there's been a bit of um, you know, tension there. Change is not easy. Uh, but I think we're in a better position to take on board those new and emerging market demands. But
0: what about diversifying into different markets? What do you what do you think throughout your time as, as trade minister? What is the biggest diversification achievement?
1: Well, I guess since we've been in government, and my predecessor David Parker was part of CPTPP, um, we've signed seven trade agreements. Um, you know, that's fairly extensive, CPTPP. We've signed RCEP, which is a, a big trade agreement, uh, facilitates trade a lot more uh, through Asian. Um, we've signed the UK trade agreement, um, EU trade agreement, upgraded the China free trade agreement. We've, we've moved to grow the opportunities, but actually it's up to the exporters to work out where they will sell their products. But
0: the, my concern is diversifying into different markets. And I look at 2018 when the CPTPP was signed, 24% of total New Zealand exports went to China. Last year it was 29%. So in the last five years, we've actually
1: increased our export dependence on China. Well, our total exports since 2017 have grown 47% in the primary sectors. That's huge growth. So while we've grown the the percentage into China, we've also grown into other markets as well. But both these trade agreements, the UK and the EU, will make it far easier for people to take up the options in those high-value markets. It's up to them whether they do. The returns in China are still very high. It's a very valuable market for us, but the doors are now open for options. Why is
0: an FTA with India not a priority?
1: Well, it is a priority. It's not a reality at this point in time. I've been to India a couple of times. My colleagues have been over there. We, we have extensive discussions with our Indian counterparts in many different international fora. The reality in trade is that dairy is the sensitive option. They have the biggest dairy industry in the world. Uh, they have you know, farmers that produce five or ten litres of milk per day, very sensitive to market prices. They're very, I guess, almost paranoid about uh, imports coming in and undermining the value to their farmers, to the 100 million-plus farmers that rely on that for for their livelihoods, for their sustenance. Come back to the point. We will, develop, um, we will develop opportunities in horticulture. We've got a joint venture growing apples. We're looking to have a joint venture with, with uh, kiwifruit as well. There are other ways that we'll build the relationship and hopefully it will get to become a free trade agreement. In the meantime, it's economic cooperation. When Nanaya Mahuta hosted a senior Indian government official last year,
0: she said, quote, a free trade agreement at this time is not a priority for New Zealand or India. Do you think, upon reflection, New Zealand has been guilty of
1: perhaps neglecting the Indian relationship to some extent? No, I don't think so. I think we've had COVID, which has made travel difficult. Um, since we've been uh, opened up and moved around, I think we've had a fair uh, number of um, ministers both ways. Um, are we travelling to India in the next month or so, um, just to keep that relationship going? Um, and, and as long as we don't mention a free trade agreement, the Indians want to build that further. But But they are for local political reasons, are absolutely opposed to the discussions on a free trade agreement. In fact, Australia is is not a full-blown full trade agreement. They have made some progress. Um, Australia has a lot of other goods and services to offer India. We're not in the same position, and dairy is the sensitive issue.
0: Stay with us. After the break, I ask Damien O'Connor about the future of the government's plans to price farm emissions. Kia ora i welcome back. Government officials met with primary industry representatives this week as they nursed the negotiations over Hewaka waka Eke noa. National says the industry government plan to price farm emissions is dead and it'll delay on farm emissions pricing until 2030. In his role as Agriculture Minister, I asked Damien O'Connor if farming has become more difficult under his government.
1: No, I think it's become more challenging because the international marketplace and climate change has affected us. We've seen more events, uh, climatic events, that actually make life on the farm very, very difficult. We've had things like the Ukraine war that has pushed up prices for fertiliser and for fuel, which has added to on-farm inflation. So it's been challenging. On top of that, we have said clearly we've got to clean up our waterways over a generation. We've got to start now, not kick that can down the road. And we've got commitments to Reduce our emissions, 48% of which come from agriculture. It's been a challenge since 1997 when we're committed to that, to reduction as a country. We've been working with the industry, with the sector leaders to say how should we best do that, and, and we're making progress. When you consider the additional regulatory burdens that have been imposed under your government, can you see that those burdens have made farming more difficult for New Zealand? I had a discussion this morning with a farm advisor and he said the same thing and I said well name what they are, he said look biosecurity, yes we've had Bovis, yes we've asked them to increase their, uh, their compliance to NATE, and their better on farm biosecurity systems, yes they might see that as an impost, we think it's an absolute necessity. Uh, we've worked through as I say on water, um, animal welfare, we saw some terrible images of practice of winter grazing, we said we can't have this. This will undermine our reputation internationally, so tidy it up, move on, make changes. That has been a bit of pressure, and some have have railed against it. Most farmers see these things as necessary, and I think we're making really good progress. You were back at the table for He Waka this week. Is it dead? No, it's not. And as the prime minister said, uh, it's ongoing discussion. You know, we've we've kind of parked it up because we needed to know that the industry was committed to it. Um, there are still some challenging issues we're going to work through with industry leaders on. Um, sequestration, um, and there's been some, Minister Shaw has been working through uh, options to increase sequestration um, offsets on farm. so it's not just about planted uh, pinus radiata trees, it's the native trees on farm, it might be soil we hope, um, and it might be you know, wetlands, so we're looking to increase the options for farmers on top of that, um, there's developing R&D around bolus, around uh, eco pond, that's reducing the methane that goes from effluent ponds. There's some exciting options for farmers. They're not all there yet. Um, And then the issue of pricing is to, if we are going to take a price or or some money from farmers to reinvest back into R&D and assisting to get the technology on farm, we don't know how much that should be. So that's the discussion we're having with farmers. So who should be responsible for setting that? Well, that will, be, that will be a joint operation between farming leaders, uh, between the Climate Change Commission, because they, they have targets that they have to meet, or we have to meet as a country, uh, and government. So we've said we'll do it cooperatively. Um, and of course, we, it, we, we said it to the end of last year, it will be the minimum. We're not. This is not a tax gathering exercise. This is about getting enough money to invest back into the technology that we need. That seems to be the, the, the major sticking point. The sequestration is one issue, but actually it's the pricing mechanism that is the preps greater hurdle at this stage. Is that it, fair? Absolutely, because farmers are fearful. Of, at a time of, you know, uh, on-farm inflation, um, you know, they are under a bit of pressure. Some of the prices are coming back for dairy and beef. They don't want an additional cost burden, an unnecessary one. What we're saying, you know, we've still got to decide what that will be. It, it is necessary so that we can reinvest back in the industry. We've put over $300 million, actually a billion dollars in total, to help farmers through some of these changes, but three over three hundred 30 has gone into projects for emissions reduction now to keep that moving we need to ca- take some of that money from the industry not just from pensioners tax.
0: You said that it's been parked up
1: or you've parked it up no, for time. No it being. was and we've, we've re-engaged oh, okay. we've had a couple of really good conversations at the field days, we met again last week and, and the Prime Minister when we come back will f- continue that discussion to kind of finalise things I know farmers want certainty but it is important that we get it right You have an ETS backstop set
0: for 2025 at the moment. If it gets to that point, in order to keep Hewaka Ekenoa alive, are you prepared to push back that backstop?
1: That's part of the discussions we're having at the moment. That sounds like a yes. Well, you know, we have to be realistic about what is possible. There's a legislative timeline, um, there's there's a technology, um, you know, so we're working on the calculator at the moment so that we've got a calculator that that accurately um, um, calculates the emissions from a farm and Mm. any offsets Mm. against that because we have international obligations to report our emissions.
0: Yeah, but if the difference between keeping this agreement alive or this negotiation process alive, especially around the election, is the difference between keeping that
1: backstop at 2025 or pushing it back a couple of years, is that something you're prepared to move on? Look, that's something that is being discussed at the moment and, and obviously we're being realistic with the farmers. I think they, they understand, uh, the farming leaders who we met, that these these things are all flexible because we want to do it. They've recommitted to Heiwake Kanoa. They know that we have to do this in spite of many farmers still, you know, maybe not understanding the why. We have to do it. We've got to do it in a practical way.
0: Y- you've been in rural communities Communities for much of your life. How does the mental health crisis in farming communities now compare to other periods?
1: I was sheer milking in the 80s when the Labor government took off subsidies, and um, you know, we thought that, and actually, that was pretty blunt. Not, not the level of consultation and consideration that we're seeing now. Uh, that did hit some people very, very hard, but the change was necessary. No one would go back and say that we want a subsidised agricultural system. Um, so Labour actually, through history, has made the hard cause for agriculture. It hasn't been easy, but looking back... As I say, they've been necessary and they take us a step forward uh, into a new world where you know the demands of, of our major customers, be they Nestle, be they McDonald's or, or Waitrose, they are looking for emissions reduction. They're looking for ethical systems of, of animal protein production.
0: So, so back to that question though, how does the mental health crisis in rural communities today compare, do you think, to other periods?
1: Oh, I think the pressures, you know, it's pretty pretty intense at the moment, not as bad as the 80s. Um, and there have been, you know, times in different areas of New Zealand because of climatic events, you know, where people have come under incredible pressure. I think it is important that farmers realise we will collectively get through this. We have exciting opportunities around the world to sell our high-value products, but we do need to meet some of the expectations of our country. Customers and it will be a, it will be more compliance, it will be more proof points, it will be validation, verification, all of the stuff. It's the way the world that we live in and the customers buying our products can pick up a cell phone and know exactly where that product comes from and how it was produced.
0: Was it a conflict of interest for Andrew Hoggard not to declare his act membership whilst negotiating for Federated Farmers? In you know
1: look i 'll leave that up to farmers really I mean Andrew and feds were reluctant participants um, some of the other industry leaders were a bit more um, realistic and, and forward leaning uh, in that area and maybe that was andrew's maybe um, suspicion or, or doubt about whether this was necessary look we saw a lot of um, you know statements come out of fed of farmers and I was a bit disappointed i 've got a long family history of that organization it 's a proud organization it 's important that it 's not Um, abused for political purposes. It's always tried to be neutral um, from a political perspective, deal with the, the government of the day. It's important they continue to do that. Was he honest? Uh, look, I, I, people can, you know, e- evolve their, their lives and, and their aspirations and he obviously sees an opportunity in politics. No,
0: I realise that, but he was a member of the party whilst negotiating for Federated Farmers and he didn't declare it.
1: And, and look, they'll, they'll probably, you'll find across our economy there'll be many people like that. I, I'm not going to make a judgement on, on him, but it is important that the overall organisation doesn't get railroaded into you know, a, a, a narrow area where it can't step back from. and um, So... Most farmers, or many farmers, and there's a group of young farmers who really are looking for a better future here, they know the challenges that we have. Um, Some of them don't own the land, and there's a group of farmers who are at the end of their their farming careers, don't want to change, not quite sure how to, to move their farm on, they are the ones who are a little more grumpy.
0: Do you support lifting the effective ban on GE and GM?
1: I think we have to be really cautious here, I've asked. Um, People selling our products around the world on a number of occasions, does being non-GMO give us an advantage? Most of them say yes in the market at the moment. I think with genetic technology moving on, it's not the traditional GMOs, um, it's genetic engineering. We know that, CRISPR and other things. There are new opportunities emerging. But, you know, as I said to a scientist the other day, um, he and they are not the ones selling our products offshore. We've got to be mindful that we need a point of difference and we need to get additional value, not just sell the same food that others are. So what's your position? My my position is we need a a sensible, mature discussion on it. Um, I think the world is shifting a little bit, acceptance of genetic technology, um, but we've just got to make sure that actually delivers a net benefit for New Zealand because if we move to commercialisation out in the field, that shifts our position. So, to be clear, you don't support lifting the ban at this stage. I don't think we should just lift it and go, you know, half a leather. That would be crazy. We've got to be really careful. We have G. In genetic engineering right. and experimentation taking place in New Zealand now, and some of it's been put out in the field. It's not been commercialised. It's very, very highly regulated at the moment. I mean, it is,
0: absolutely. And, and, and to be fair, the National Party in their policy is not advocating for going hell for leather. They want to have a, a tight re- a regulatory framework around it. But they do say that if they win the next
1: election they will lift that effective ban. Well, I'm not quite sure what, what that will mean. We have effectively now. you know, We're shifting the regulations. David Parker's got a discussion on that. We, in fact, uh, from MPI, we released a discussion document uh, uh, to, from Tapuna Fakaranui which is a, a, a think tank that we have. They said we need to look at the issues of GE. It's a really interesting read. It doesn't state whether we should or shouldn't shift our position. It says these are the realities that we face in the world, um, and it, when it comes to food production, you know it's not always rational. You know people are making choices about what they put in their body uh, for emotional reasons as well as rational. We just have to be mindful of both.
0: Finally then, are you committed to another term? By our count, I think you are now officially the longest-serving MP in Parliament, is that right?
1: It's, uh, look, it's a privilege to be um, in, in government, um, to be in Parliament, in fact. I've always uh, respected that, and I guess the opportunity to be a Minister is something that uh, you, know, you work for in your political career. Some, for some it comes really quickly. I mean, it's taken a wee while. Um, I've, I've had, as I say, the privilege of being able to have some influence and try and help New Zealand and help my region, the West Coast Tasman. And, and that, you know, that's still exciting. It's still a challenge. I guess if I can find a, a job that's equally as challenging, you know, I might look at that. But at the moment, um, you know, there's, there's still a lot to do, and and I think huge opportunities for New Zealand. I want to be part of helping that.
0: Whether or not you are in government, are you committed to serving another term?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's up to the people in West Coast Tasman if they want me back, and, and I guess the people of New Zealand as to whether they want a Labour government. We'll, we'll make those calls after the election.
0: That's Minister Damien O'Connor. If you want to contact the Q&A team, please or My. These are our main platforms. You can email us, you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. After the break, Green Party co-leader Marama Davidson is with us live. Kia ora Iti, e We welcome back. The Green Party is promising to reform bail and sentencing laws to allow for more non-custodial sentences. As part of its party manifesto being released this weekend for the Green Party conference, it also wants to minimise the use of remand in youth detention facilities. Green Party co-leader Marama Davidson is with us now live. Kia ora, good morning.
2: Kia ora, morena Jack.
0: Does this mean fewer people behind bars?
2: Well, I want to uh, acknowledge that I'm releasing the manifesto today And what people can expect to see in that is our Green Party visions and solutions that we've long, long had and understood uh, and what is actually achievable in the next term of government, including those justice reforms. So
0: does that mean fewer people behind bars?
2: We know that there has to be enforcement, but alongside restoration and prevention of criminal offending in the very first place Mm. and prisons on their own. Actually, increase reoffending. Mm.
0: Does it mean fewer people behind bars?
2: Well, we do want to have fewer people behind bars because Is that, that what will your policy mean, would allow for that. Will mean that we have instead given more support to the experts working in the community, um, people who mm. work with youth offending, people who work with Fano. That's where we also need to add more support to yeah, as well. But
0: to be 100 clear, by your by your policy the end result would mean fewer people behind bars in the next term of government.
2: That's what we hope for, absolutely. Yeah. Would that make
0: New Zealanders safer? Uh,
2: preventing criminal offending is what will make New Zealanders safer. Mm. Alongside enforcement, there was a gang harm report released just last week from chief science advisors, who were very, very clear. Mm. We cannot solely arrest our way out of the problem. We also have to focus on well-being, housing, and income, and those are the two solutions that the Green Party has launched just over the past few weeks. But you
0: have been really explicit in this party manifesto in saying that you want to reform those bail and sentencing laws and you want to use remand less for young offenders. So I want to understand what that will mean for New Zealanders' safety. Clearly there is a massive concern about the levels of crime, the brazen nature of crime at the moment. Um, Explain to me how having fewer people behind bars within just the next couple of years is going to make kiwis safer.
2: So I acknowledge that <clears throat> there is fear from the offending that happens any time, not just mm. now, and there has to be accountability for that offending at all times. Mm. But politicians need to get serious and honest with the people and the public that there are no quick fixes, Jack. Mm. The research everywhere affirms this: that we also need the prevention to happen, and that is what the Green Party solutions are all about, including houses for everyone yeah. and enough to live a dignified life. I will
0: get to those in just a couple of sure. minutes. But this is such a critical issue for so many voters at the moment. You want to you want to make this reality <laughs> in the next term. I mean, some of those longer-term social solutions when it comes to reducing or you know trying to minimise the the factors that lead to yep. crime in the first place, yep. those are multi-generational issues. But you want to do this next term. You want to have fewer people behind bars next term. So, so take a look at the current prison population. It's dropped by more than 20% since 2018. And during the same time, reports of violent crime have significantly increased. How are those two things linked, do you think?
2: The reports of... Uh, violent crime and family violence, sexual violence. Remember, reporting is not the mm. the whole picture of what is happening. That's only what is reported. Do, do
0: you think crime has gone up since 2018?
2: It's hard to know um, exactly what the figures are. And the Gang Harm Report also makes it clear that the numbers on their own don't offer the best value so, to so, the public. So what's your
0: sense? Do, do you think violent crime rates have increased or decreased I since 2018? Ag-
2: I acknowledge that no level... A violent crime is acceptable, Jack. Absolutely no so level have it, have it, has is it increased or So there have 18. been increased stresses, and the information that right. I've got, the information <laughs> that I've got, which is still not the full picture, um, understands that the stresses that we've gone through mm. with pandemics and lockdowns, cost of living, weather impacts. Um, I know about family violence, sexual violence, Jack, mm. and yes, there are, we're not doing in, any better, so... Okay, so,
0: so so just let me ask about that point, though. So, so if we're not doing any better and that reports of violent crime have increased, the prison population has decreased 20% over that same period, and you want to decrease it further.
2: We want to put more support and solutions to what actually works. The gang harm report highlighted mm. that there are people here, experts in the community who know what works when offending, when working with reducing offending, and that is where um, more support can so that's go as that, well.
0: But, but you've just said to me that, that, that some of those solutions are multi-generational solutions. No,
2: no, so, not necessarily. So,
0: okay, so, so mm-hmm. explain to me though how combining those solutions with reducing the prison population by reforming bail and sentencing laws will make New Zealand a safer. Example,
2: Sure. For example, um, with any youth offending, there is the risk that their other associates, their siblings, for example, could be pulled into the same path, but not if we intervene immediately and Mm. urgently and keep more people out of the justice system. The police working with the community have been very, very clear that the effort should be on interventions that keep more people out of Mm. the justice system. That means wrapping more support around, so for example, when a mum um, this is a case I know of, Mm. is struggling to uh, send her tamariki to school because she doesn't have everything that she needs. The police have advocated for working with community to wrap that support around staying connected Mm. with schools is one of the ways that we reduce offending and so that is what the Green Party have long stood and championed Mm. for.
0: As you mentioned you're the Minister for the Prevention of Family and Sexual Violence. Have instances of what is considered family violence increased or decreased during your time in that role?
2: The prevalence of family violence is roughly the same overall. We Violence is never okay, ever
0: No, no, but okay, I'll, I'll come back to that I So, can, so, so it, it hasn't changed during it, during your time in It hasn't changed role.
2: except violence is never okay Over stress and crisis events like weather impacts, um, pandemics Unfortunately here and around the world um, we, That makes things harder and Those that can increase factors. violence right. However, we have a 25 year strategy to eliminate violence mm. Which is the um, what I'm proud to be leading When
0: will it start working?
2: We can see some things working right now. So the Family Violence Death Review report highlighted three organisations who are groundbreaking, and they are community whānau-centred approaches, Mm. and those are already shown to work. It's a 25-year strategy for a reason, Jack. Um, The drivers of harm are so deeply rooted over generations that it will take time, but... We can either allow for another 180 years of violence or we can take a generation to eliminate it. So,
0: how should we measure the effects? What are the metrics by which we measure the impact?
2: We need to measure the impact first and foremost to the families and people most impacted on violence. So, what does that mean though? That means when you have gone to visit, um, work and income for support, have you been treated with dignity? Uh, when you have reported violence to police and agencies do you feel that you have been believed and validated and supported to the right help? Those are the sorts of measurements that Jack, we what, have never what really What about had. just
0: measuring the instances of family violence?
2: And Again, most of it is not reported so we have to also improve the way that people fail to even put their hand up in the first place before we will get the full picture of what is happening.
0: You're also the Associate Minister of Housing responsible for homelessness reduction. At any one time, there are about 9,000 New Zealanders in emergency accommodation, about 100,000 people who could be considered homeless. Are those numbers better or worse than when you were appointed Minister?
2: Not one person living in emergency accommodation or homelessness is acceptable or necessary. Are they better
0: or worse than when you were appointed Minister? They
2: are getting worse. And so as a Minister, um, my portfolio kicks in once people have already become homeless and we wrap support around them. Mm. But it's also why, Jack, we need to cap rent increases and build far more, thousands more affordable housing. That is what the green solution is.
0: So violence has increased. Uh, You say that the reported instances of family violence haven't improved. Uh, The number of people who are considered homeless have got worse. Explain to us why you are an effective minister.
2: Because we've started, and again, no instance of violence or homelessness is acceptable. We have finally started to put in the roots, the long-term shifts that are needed, like, for example... A well-being approach, not just a punitive approach on its own. Those mm. are massive changes. Um, the Green Party solutions also are what is needed. So we've managed to do some things. So for example, the first ever Rangatahi Copapa Māori Transitional Housing here in South Auckland, mm. I was really proud to be helping government to do things differently, but more is needed outside of my homelessness portfolio, which is why we are offering solutions for everyone to have a home and the income that they need. But if we look at
0: those most basic <coughs> measures, violence going up, homelessness going up,
2: you fail. These are decades in the making, Jack. These, What is happening right now decades in the making. They are a result of successive government mm. selling off public and affordable housing. No, I have not failed. I've managed to get down into the ground. This starts. This is long work. There are no quick solutions, Jack, and we have to be courageous politicians and be honest to the public about that. I am proud of what we have started to do, and I want to keep but going.
0: There are some short-term elements to this as well. I want to talk about those. So in last year's budget, the government elevate, uh, allocated $75 million over four years mm-hmm. to fight homelessness, mm-hmm. including $12.6 million set aside for this year. How much of that $12.6 million has been spent so far?
2: I don't have those figures in front of me. All of the youth transitional housing... Le- less than a million dollars. All of the youth transitional housing is contracted and ready to go because that was a programme already up and running. All the other three initiatives yeah. Jack, they are new ways of working. So they're happening. The work hasn't stopped. The but, budget, but I mean
0: this is this is an urgent crisis. The, I think we, the, we all work, agree on that. They're right? urgently working And, and you've now. been given $12.6 million to spend for this year and less than a million has been spent.
2: Jack, let's not equate what has been spent with what is being done. So all three of those... Homelessness is going up all, at the same time. All three of those initiatives are happening right now and they are not the initiatives mm. that will prevent further homelessness Jack, they are responding to homelessness so let's not equate the dollars that are spent, especially mm. when the complicated invoicing system is ugh. So the work is being done now. I think the work dollars is being, being done now. being spent and
0: people being brought out of homelessness are actually directly correlated some now. of the
2: time. No, the The initiatives that I proudly championed for in the budget are about responding to homelessness. Mm. And so the other levers that we need to prevent it, Jack, is what the Green Party, and if people want it, vote for it. Homes for everyone, public housing, and incomes, a guaranteed um, income. Mm.
0: Heading into the election campaign, I was reflecting on some of the most prominent events for Green Party uh, MPs this year. And I reflected on the Posey Parker visit. So first of all, how how did that um, experience affect you and how has your recovery been? Because, of course, you were were struck by a motorcycle after that event. How how was
2: that? Um, Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm very privileged to have lots of support and recovery. Uh, What that was about was a long-standing tradition of the Green Party for a more inclusive Aotearoa and standing against division. And we will continue to be proud and... in supporting trans in that as well.
0: Reflecting on that event, what people or group do you think ultimately benefited from the way that unfolded?
2: When we look about at what happened in the rallies with Wellington and Auckland, um, I think about who showed up to mm. support trans whānau. It was unions, it was ordinary families, it was um, so obviously workers, it was teachers, nurses, Um, it was across the board and people of all generations because they were clear how dare an overseas person come here and try and impose those values Mm. across our Aotearoa values, which are manaakitanga, aroha, whakapapa, and valuing all our people, including trans people. So what group benefited? All of us.
0: Is it possible for someone's message to be amplified even if they don't literally speak?
2: That strategy of standing up so that the people on the sidelines see mm. that they have got support so a lot of trans people, Jack, didn't go to the rallies mm. because it's too much for them, it's too hurtful and hateful for them, but they needed to see New Zealanders standing up, not against something, but for aroha and that's what they saw and they appreciated that. Right, that's that. not
0: what I asked though is it possible for <laughs> someone's message to be amplified even if they don't literally speak?
2: Her message of hate and division was coming New Zealanders did the right thing and mm. stood clearly against that, but with messages of love. So you've got to, over, you've got to overshadow the hate with mm. the message of, messages of aroha, and that is what happened, Jack.
0: Was it a loving message when Posy Parker had tomato juice poured on her head?
2: That's not particularly uh, a loving message. I accept that. I accept that the organisers across the rallies wanted to be very clear and stand against all forms mm. of harassment. So I can't speak to that. W- was but it was it an, only... <laughs> an acceptable form of no practice? harassment? No harassment uh, is acceptable to me ever. I also understand that um, when someone shows up with some pretty ugly values I understand the frustration but actually Jack the rallies across the country not just Auckland, Wellington mm. were about coming together with Aroha for trans mm.
0: So So to be 100% clear in the context of that visit was it Acceptable for someone to pour tomato juice on Posey pages. That's It's Targa's not what
2: head. I would do, no.
0: Was it acceptable, though? Was uh, that an acceptable form of protest?
2: No, it's not what I would do, Jack. Mm. But I, I also... It's not acceptable to be um, aimed at with mm. violence because you're holding a support sign for trans whanau.
0: Is there a civil way to have conversations about trans-related
2: issues? Not when you are peddling hate and division. The way to respond to that is by... Um, crowding that out and um, shouting that out with love and solidarity across communities, mm. and that is what incredible New Zealanders did.
0: See, I, I, I look at those events and I think, you know, it was clear that the vast majority, the vast majority of that protest was non violent. There was some pushing, mm. uh, a person was punched in the face, an mm-hmm. elderly woman was punched in the face. Um, Posy Parker had tomato juice poured over her head i think people could look at her position and see that it could be perceived as being an intimidating environment mm-hmm. and they might say that actually the protesters contributed to division
2: no not at all these are whether it's trans whanau, mm. before that it has been rainbow whanau before that and at the same time it, when it, if it's jewish people if it's black people if it's maori mm. the d- The messages of hate are generations and hundreds of years of oppression Mm. against people who have little voice or power. There was violence and intimidation across all parties that day, Jack, not just one side, so let's be clear about that. But the overpowering message was all about bringing communities Mm. together, not dividing them. Do you
0: use the term turf? No, I don't. Have you ever?
2: I have in the past, I believe, yes.
0: Do you think that contributes to division?
2: I don't necessarily... It doesn't need to because it is simply a term used for um, people who don't believe that trans women Mm. are women. It's an exclusive approach that they've got. But I... Without getting down what word do you use and not use, Jack, I, I, like, I'm well, serious well, I mean, here. I mean,
0: you, start, the, you started <laughs> this point by saying that the Green Party stands against division, and I think a lot of people would say the use of that term absolutely contributes to division.
2: And rather than getting distracted by what words to use or not... But you were the, the one
0: who said that, that... And the Green
2: Party don't use that word. No, I know the but Green the Party, but you, here, you have, right? Well in the past. Okay. So the point here, the point here mm. is trans people are far whanau... Trans people mm. have been a part of Te Māori forever and we support them.
0: Where's the Elizabeth Kitty report?
2: We never... Ah, oh, you mean from the process? Mm. She stopped the process. and um, right. So we've drawn a line under that. You're not going
0: to release anything?
2: The work to ensure that we have a safe workplace for staff and MPs, mm. that continues. But the process was brought to a halt by Elizabeth.
0: Were you aware of any complaints about Elizabeth Kitty Kere Kitty's behaviour... From other MPs before the crybaby incident?
2: Yes, there were. There were. Not complaints, no, not complaints. What
0: well, would you say, yes?
2: There weren't complaints, but you were well, aware not, of some? Not, there something? was no official complaint, but, but, but there what were. What were you aware of? Well, there was a pattern, and we've already said that, Jack. What
1: there was, was a pattern? pattern
2: of behaviour that um, in the investigation um, that was revealed.
0: What was the pattern of behaviour?
2: And we're not going to go into the details, Jack. Because not? the investigation was pulled to a halt. And we have drawn a line under that and really focused on the election now.
0: But hang on, there was a pattern of behaviour. Were you aware of that before the crybaby incident?
2: There were... There were some indications made um, from across from across the board about what, but it was very difficult for people felt like they couldn't bring forward uh, an official. But complaint. you, but
0: you were aware of those things. What did you do about those before the crybaby and incident? And
2: those details, Jack, they, they are not for discussion.
0: But you've just talked about making a, a safe workplace. Mm-hmm. And so, that's what we're doing. But, but, but you were aware okay. of complaints about Elizabeth Kere, Kere before the Crybaby incident and you didn't do anything as party leader?
2: There were it was very difficult for people to feel like they could bring forward an official complaint, yes. Um, and but, so, but what was your
0: responsibility as party co-leader? Uh,
2: and so that's why we had the process and that was brought to a halt by Elizabeth.
0: Okay. So um, We've got, what, three months into the election campaign? Mm. Um, What do you think the Greens have learnt about how best to use power from their time in government with Labour?
2: We've done really well, James and I as ministers, in getting things across the line. The strongest climate action in five years and in 30. Mm. um, The first ever um, plan to eliminate violence. Good, good. And we have good working relationships. We also know that many are frustrated as we are with the pace of change, mm. and that's where um, we've also been able to maintain our independence as a political party, mm. and our consistent polling across the board shows that we've been doing well in that respect. But we also need to offer up the stronger solutions, which mm. we've already put two out the door, mm. and we're really pleased with them.
0: Okay. Good luck for today. Thanks Thank for your you. time. Thank you, Davidson, Green Party co leader. Coming up, could Te Party Māori win a general electorate seat? The party's new Ruturua candidate is here live. Te Party Māori has announced that Fano Water Commissioning Agency Chair Merepeka Raukawa-Tait will contest a general electorate seat in Ruturua The former head of Women's Refuge was also a Rotorua Lakes councillor for more than a decade and she's with us this morning. Kia ora. Morena.
3: Why are you standing? I want to be part of a political party that actually believes that Māori should be included in the future. And so that's me. Right now, with the party, do do other
0: parties not believe that?
3: I think right now we're seeing um, many Maori families that are being left behind. Uh, They feel this is as good as it gets, and the Party Maori is absolutely um, very assertive in saying that no, that we have a role to play in the future of Aotearoa. Why are you standing in a general Mm electorate seat? Well, I think if you're going to stand for parliament, why not stand um, in in a seat? Why stand for a seat? And so Rotorua is my home, it's my tribal area. I've been a local councillor there for many years. And, um, you know, we've got significant issues in Rotorua as well. Mm. COVID, whether we like it or not, has impacted on our city. And we run the very real, real, uh, real, um, we have a risk, that's right, of having a city of two halves if we're not careful. So we've got to make sure that we bounce back we are inclusive at everyone, absolutely. No,
0: I can't imagine that Rawiri was enthusiastic about giving up his candidacy for Waiariki, <laughs> but why stand in a general seat as opposed to one of the other Māori seats?
3: Well, they've got their um, candidates there mm. and I want to represent Rotorua. I know Rotorua. Um, the issues about in Rot- Rotorua, you do need someone to stand up and and to actually tell it as it is. Mm. And we fluff around. I mean, you know, we, we've we've done it hard with COVID, with those three MIQs, with the mm. motels down our main street. That has impacted our city and it's hurt our city. And we're not talking about that well enough. We've got people who are living in motels who actually are good families, mm. but they're now being demonised because you know you're taking up space in the main street and everything else like that Mm. so we've got to help our families and more importantly we've got to send a message out right throughout Aotearoa that we cannot become a country of two halves everybody must contribute to the future well-being of our nation and Mm. so nobody should be parked up on the sideline let's make sure that we do start to eradicate poverty not reduce poverty eradicate it because who's going to put up their hand and say well I'm going to be Mm. one of the poor Mm.
0: You you say that you want to be part of um, Te party Māori Mm. because you want a party that sees Māori as being key to Aotearoa's future. Why should non-Maori vote for you in a general election seat?
3: Well, they certainly did in Rotorua for the last over the last mm. decade, and they did. And and non, non-Maori see me as being quite fearless, Jack. You know, mm. I mean, you get to a certain you get experience over a number of years. You watch the po- poli- uh, the
1: political. But I suppose to, to, to,
0: sorry to interrupt. But to uh, Party Maori is explicitly um, releasing policies that, that that directly focus on Maori issues, mm-hmm. right? And, which is not okay. to say mm-hmm. that that they don't have policies like GST for for example, the removal of GST Mm -hmm. on CHI that would affect all people. Mm But really, the party is explicitly focused on Māori.
3: It is. It's unapologetically unapolog- there for Māori because who else? What other political party is? So why should non-Māori mm. vote for Te Party? Well, non-Māori should care about the rest of the other New Zealanders. Mm. Non-Māori have to make sure, I believe, that everyone within their community is well-connected in, mm. that is living to their potential, um, that they're in homes that suit their needs, that the children are either in education, training or employment. Everybody in the community... I'm not saying we are our brother's keepers, but am, I am saying that we shouldn't be looking over our shoulder and thinking, oh, mm. well, they, they're, they're the other side of the tracks. We're mm. all in this together. Where will you
0: be on the list? I don't know. I haven't asked. Is it your expectation that you'll be higher or lower than Mekafaitiri?
3: Oh, I haven't even given that a consideration. Come on. No, honestly, I haven't. Actually, Jack, I haven't asked if I'm on the list. I haven't asked you if I am. You will be on the list somewhere. I can. I feel confident of that. Well, I'd like to think that I am, but right now my job is to try and secure Rotorua in the general electorate, mm. and, and I think people there know me. They know me well enough. I know I'm up against it. I'm up against two parties. Obviously, the National Party and mm. the Labour Party. They're big. They've got their, their, um, you know, they've got their people on the ground there. Um, but that has never present uh, prevented me. A challenge has never prevented me from doing the best that I can. How will this role impact,
0: or how, how will standing impact your role with final Order?
3: Well, certainly at this time, um, I've got to um, concentrate on winning the seat, mm. um, and I may be told to step down. I mean, we're talking about three months, mm. so that's probably just one board meeting at this point in time. Um, but don't will the, you
0: stand down from that board meeting? Will you recuse yourself?
3: Probably not. Final order, we don't have the luxury of being able to, say, park yourself up for three months. The work goes on. Mm. I've got a job to do, and I, can, I will have to continue to do what that. What is the potential for a conflict of interest there? Well, I think there's no conflict of interest while you're getting on, but getting around trying to do, the, uh, mm. trying to get elected. Once, if I should be elected, then that's a whole but I suppose, new ball game. I mean,
0: game. F- final water makes, um, you know, S- makes, makes funding decisions yeah. a, 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 and, and decides between different service mm-hmm. providers. Mm-hmm. So, isn't there some concern that if you are working with final water mm-hmm. in the three months leading mm-hmm. up to the election and you're directly affiliated mm-hmm. with Pāti Maori, there could be a conflict?
3: Well, not there. really, Jack, because that's a work program that has been set in place in the last, you know, couple of years, etc. And so the providers themselves are working to, to deliver the services. Um, so I don't see a conflict, mm. but if, if the shareholder thinks there will be, then I will be asked to step aside.
0: Uh, yeah, keen political um, train spotters will remember that you stood for the Christian Heritage Party mm. in 2002, which was of course Graham Capel was the leader then. Um, you walked out on the party mm. after that mm. experience. How did that impact your appetite for national-level politics?
3: Well, I I did join the Christian Heritage Party because um, I do believe in family values, of course. But actually, how naive of me, Jack, because every party, most politicians, believe in family values, Mm. I believe, anyway. So it was naive of me to think that um, that party would have the monopoly on family values. It didn't. But the other thing I noticed is that they were actually extremely judgmental. Mm. They were judgmental of of families who they believed um, never lived as a family mm. unit should live. and I don't like that. They use words such as abomination. I mm. don't like anything like that. Um, these are human beings we all we all belong to the family of, of, of you know human beings and um, so I don't want to I don't want to differentiate I think yeah. We've all got a con- con- contribution to make.
0: Finally, then, meta if you do find yourself as an MP in, say, four months' time, what do you think will be the best way for Te Party, Māori and other smaller parties to exercise power?
3: Um,
0: inside or outside cabinet?
3: Inside or outside cabinet. I think we should make sure that we're always holding those who have, who are in, in, in leadership positions, to clearly understand that not everyone gets off. You know, gets. Has a, has a head start and so we must make sure that we're also looking for the people who are struggling and surviving and, um, or just trying to survive. We've got to make sure that we're not just looking at the uptown folks. Mm. Everybody is important and I feel that we are forgetting so many New Zealanders and thinking well, we'll park them up on the sideline. If we do that, Jack, then we are consigning mm. another generation of children to the sideline and that we must not have. We're too good for that as a country.
0: Good luck for the campaign, Merepeka. Thank merepeka you. Ro Raukawa-Tate, the Rotorua candidate for Te Pāti Māori. If you want to switch between the Māori and general roles, just a quick PSA, you have until this Thursday, so the 13th of July, to do so. Stay with us. We're back after the break. Cool, mutu, that is Q&A for this week from the Q&A team. Thanks for watching. Nga mihi ki a koutui, Thanks for your feedback. Just so you know, we are off next weekend for Matariki, so we will see you again in a fortnight. Until then, kia pai tira. q Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.